Section 35 of The Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume 2 by James Boswell. This is a LibriVox recording, or LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. I dined with him this day at the house of my friends, Messrs. Edward and Charles Dilly, booksellers in the poultry. There were present their elder brother, Mr. Dilly of Bedfordshire, Dr. Goldsmith, Mr. Langton, Mr. Claxton, Reverend Dr. Mayo, a dissenting minister, the Reverend Mr. Topliddy, footnote, the writer of hymns, end footnote, and my friend, the Reverend Mr. Temple. Hawksworth's compilation of the voyages to the South Sea being mentioned, Johnson, sir, if you talk of it as a subject of commerce, it will be gainful. Footnote. Malone says that Hawksworth was introduced by Garrick to Lord Sandwich, who, thinking to put a few hundred pounds into his pocket, appointed him to revise and publish Cook's Voyages. He scarcely did anything to the manuscripts, yet sold it to Cadell and Strawn for six thousand pounds. Prize Malone. Thurlow, in his speech on copyright on March the 24th, 1774, said that Hawksworth's book, which was a mere composition of trash, sold for three guineas by the booksellers monopolising. Parliamentary history and a footnote. So, if you talk of it as a subject of commerce, it will be gainful. If, as a book that is to increase human knowledge, I believe there will not be much of that. Hawksworth can tell only what the voyagers have told him, and they have found very little, only one new animal, I think. Boswell. But many insects, sir. Johnson. Why, sir, as to insects. Ray reckons of British insects, 20,000 species. They might have stayed at home and discovered enough in that way. Talking of birds, I mentioned Mr. Daines Barrington's ingenious essay against the received notion of their migration. Johnson. I think we have as good evidence for the migration of woodcocks as can be desired. We find they disappear at a certain time of the year and appear again at a certain time of the year, and some of them, when weary in their flight, have been known to alight on the rigging of ships far out at sea. One of the company observed that there had been instances of some of them found in summer in Essex. Johnson, sir, that strengthens our argument. Exceptio probat regulam. Some being found shows that if all remained, many would be found. A few sick or lame ones may be found. Goldsmith. There is a partial migration of the swallows. The stronger ones migrate, the others do not. Footnote. Gilbert White held that though most of the swallow kind may migrate, yet that some do stay behind and bide with us during the winter. White Selborne. End of footnote. Boswell. I am well assured that the people of Otaheite, who have the bread-tree, the fruit of which serves them for bread, laughed heartily when they were informed of the tedious process necessary with us to have bread. Ploughing, sowing, harrowing, reaping, threshing, grinding, baking. Johnson. Right, sir. 
all ignorant savages will laugh when they are told of the advantages of civilized life were you to tell men who live without houses how we pile brick upon brick and rafter upon rafter and that after a house is raised to a certain height a man tumbles off a scaffold and breaks his neck he would laugh heartily at our folly in building but it does not follow that men are better without houses no sir holding up a slice of a good loaf this is better than the bread tree he repeated an argument which is to be found in his rambler against the notion that the brute creation is endowed with the faculty of reason footnote number forty one the sparrow that was hatched last spring makes her first nest the ensuing season of the same materials and with the same art as in any following year and the hen conducts and shelters her first brood of chickens with all the prudence that she ever attains End of footnote. He repeated an argument which is to be found in his rambler against the notion that the brute creation is endowed with the faculty of reason. Birds build by instinct. They never improve. They build their first nest as well as any one they ever build. Goldsmith. Yet we see if you take away a bird's nest with the eggs in it, she will make a slighter nest and lay again. Johnson. So that is because at first she has full time and makes her nest deliberately in the case you mentioned she is pressed to lay and must therefore make her nest quickly and consequently it will be slight goldsmith the identification of birds is what is least known in natural history though one of the most curious things in it i introduced the subject of toleration johnson every society has a right to preserve public peace and order and therefore has a good right to prohibit the propagation of opinions which have a dangerous tendency to say the magistrate has this right is using an inadequate word it is the society for which the magistrate is agent he may be morally or theologically wrong in restraining the propagation of opinions which he thinks dangerous but he is politically right mayo i am of opinion sir that every man is entitled to liberty of conscience in religion and that the magistrate cannot restrain that right johnson sir i agree with you every man has a right to liberty of conscience and with that the magistrate cannot interfere people confound liberty of thinking with liberty of talking nay with liberty of preaching every man has a physical right to think as he pleases for it cannot be discovered how he thinks he has not a moral right for he ought to inform himself and think justly but so no member of a society has a right to teach any doctrine contrary to what the society holds to be true the magistrate i say may be wrong in what he thinks but while he thinks himself right he may and ought to enforce what he thinks footnote rousseau went further than johnson in this about eleven years earlier he had in his contrat social book for chapter eight laid down certain simple dogmas such as the belief in a god and a future state 
and said, Son pouvoir obligé personne à décroire, il, le souverain, peut bannir de l'état quiconque ne les croit pas. Que si quelqu'un, après avoir reconnu publiquement ces mêmes dogmes, se conduit, comme ne les croyons pas, qu'il soit puni de mort. Il a commis de plus grands décrits, il a menti devant les lois. End of then, sir, we are to remain always in error, and truth can never prevail. And the magistrate was right in persecuting the first Christians. Johnson, sir, the only method by which religious truth can be established is by martyrdom. The magistrate has a right to enforce what he thinks, and he who is conscious of the truth has a right to suffer. I'm afraid there is no other way of ascertaining the truth but by persecution on the one hand and enduring it on the other. Goldsmith. But how is a man to act, sir? Though firmly convinced of the truth of his doctrine, may he not think it wrong to expose himself to persecution? Has he a right to do so? Is it not, as it were, committing voluntary suicide? Johnson, sir, as to voluntary suicide, as you call it, there are twenty thousand men in an army who will go without scruple to be shot at and mount a breach for five pence a day. Goldsmith, but have they a moral right to do this? Johnson, nay, sir. If you will not take the universal opinion of mankind, I have nothing to say. If mankind cannot defend their own way of thinking, I cannot defend it. So if a man is in doubt whether it will be better for him to expose himself to martyrdom or not, he should not do it. He must be convinced that he has a delegation from heaven. Goldsmith I would consider whether there is the greater chance of good or evil upon the whole. If I see a man who had fallen into a well, I would wish to help him out, but if there is a greater probability that he shall pull me in than that I shall pull him out, I would not attempt it. So, were I to go to Turkey, I might wish to convert the Grand Signor to the Christian faith, but when I considered that I shall probably be put to death without effectuating my purpose in any degree, I should keep myself quiet. Johnson. Sir, you must consider that we have perfect and imperfect obligations. Perfect obligations, which are generally not to do something, are clear and positive, as thou shalt not kill. But charity, for instance, is not definable by limits. It is a duty to give to the poor, but no man can say how much another should give to the poor, or when a man is given too little to save his soul. In the same manner it is a duty to instruct the ignorant, and, of consequence, to convert infidels to Christianity, but no man in the common course of things is obliged to carry this to such a degree as to incur the danger of martyrdom as no man is obliged to strip himself to the shirt in order to give charity. I have said 
that a man must be persuaded that he has a particular delegation from heaven. Goldsmith. How is this to be known? Our first reformers, who were burnt for not believing bread and wine to be Christ, Johnson interrupting him, Sir, they were not burnt for not believing bread and wine to be Christ, but for insulting those who did believe it. And, sir, when the first reformers began, they did not intend to be martyred, as many of them ran away as could. Boswell. But, sir, there was your countryman, Elwell, who you told me challenged King George with his black guards and his red guards. Footnote. Boswell calls Elwell Johnson's countrymen because they both came from the same county. End of footnote. Johnson. My countryman Elwell, sir, should have been put in the stocks. A proper pulpit for him, and he'd have had a numerous audience. A man who preaches in the stocks will always have hearers enough. Possible. But Elwell thought himself in the right. Johnson. We are not providing for mad people. There are places for them in the neighbourhood. Meaning Moorfields. Mayo. But, sir, is it not very hard that I should not be allowed to teach my children what I really believe to be the truth? Johnson. Why, sir, you might contrive to teach your children extra scandalum, but, sir, the magistrate, if he knows it, has a right to restrain you. Suppose you teach your children to be thieves. Mayo. This is making a joke of the subject. Johnson. Nay, sir, take it thus. That you teach them the community of goods for which there are as many plausible arguments as for most erroneous doctrines, you teach them that all things at first were in common, and that no man had a right to anything but as he laid his hands upon it, and that this still is, or ought to be, the rule amongst mankind. Here, sir, you sap a great principle in society, property. And don't you think the magistrate would have a right to prevent you? Or suppose you should teach your children the notion of the Adamites, and they should run naked into the streets. Would not the magistrate have a right to flog them into their doublets? Mayo. I think the magistrate has no right to interfere till there is some overt act. Boswell. So, sir, though he sees an enemy to the state charging a blunderbuss, he is not to interfere till it is fired off? Mayo, he must be sure of its direction against the state. Johnson, the magistrate is to judge of that. He has no right to restrain your thinking, because the evil centres in yourself. If a man was sitting at this table and chopping off his fingers, the magistrate, as guardian of the community, has no authority to restrain him. However, he might do it from kindness as a parent. Though, indeed, upon more consideration, I think he may, as it is probable that he who is chopping off his own fingers may soon proceed to chop off those of other people. If 
I think it right to steal Mr. Dilly's plate. I'm a bad man, but he can say nothing to me. If I make an open declaration that I think so, he will keep me out of his house. If I put forth my hand, I shall be sent to Newgate. This is the gradation of thinking, preaching, and acting. If a man thinks erroneously, he may keep his thoughts to himself, and nobody will trouble him. If he preaches erroneous doctrine, society may expel him. If he acts in consequence of it, the law takes place, and he is hanged. Footnote. Baretti, in a manuscript note on Piozzi letters, says, Johnson would have made an excellent Spanish inquisitor. To his shame be it said, he was always tooth and nail against toleration. End of footnote. Mayo. But, sir, ought not Christians to have liberty of conscience? Johnson. I have already told you so, sir. You are coming back to where you were. Boswell. Dr. Mayo is always taking a return post-chase and going the stage over again. He has it half price. Johnson. Dr. Mayo, like other champions for unlimited toleration, has got a set of words. Footnote. Dr. Mayo's calm temper and steady perseverance rendered him an admirable subject for the exercise of Dr. Johnson's powerful abilities. He never flinched, but after reiterated blows remained seemingly unmoved as at first. The scintillations of Johnson's genius flashed every time he was struck, without his receiving any injury. Hence he obtained the epithet of the literary anvil. Boswell, into footnote. Sir, it is no matter politically whether the magistrate be right or wrong. Suppose a club were to be formed to drink confusion to King George the Third and a happy restoration to Charles the Third. Footnote the young pretender, Charles Edward, end of footnote. This would be very bad with respect to the state. But every member of that club must either conform to its rules or be turned out of it. Old Baxter, I remember, maintains that the magistrate should tolerate all things that are tolerable. This is no good definition of toleration upon any principle, but it shows that he thought some things were not tolerable. Top Liddy. Sir, you have untwisted this difficult subject with great dexterity. Footnote. Mr. Croker, quoting Johnson's letter of May the 20th, 1775, Piozzi letters, where he says, I dined in a large company at a dissenting booksellers yesterday and disputed against toleration with one Dr. Meyer. Continues, This must have been the dinner noted in the text, but I cannot reconcile the date. And the mention of the death of the Queen of Denmark, which happened on May the 10th, 1775, ascertains that the date of the letter is correct. Boswell must, I think, have misdated and misplaced his note of the conversation. That the dinner did not take place in May 1775 is, however, quite clear. By that date, Goldsmith had been dead more than a year. 
and Goldsmith bore a large part in the talk at the Delhi's table. On the other hand, there can be no question about the correctness of the date of the letter. Wesley, in his journal for 1757, mentions Mr. Meyer, chaplain to one of the Hanoverian regiments. Perhaps he is the man whom Johnson met in 1775. During this argument, Goldsmith sat in restless agitation from a wish to get in and shine. Finding himself excluded, he had taken his hat to go away. Footnote. It is very possible he had to call at Covent Garden on his way, and that for this, and not for Boswell's reason, he had taken his hat early. The actor who so assisted him in young Marlow was taking his benefit this 7th of May, and for an additional attraction Goldsmith had written him an epilogue. Forster's Goldsmith, end of footnote. Finding himself excluded, he had taken his hat to go away, but remained for some time with it in his hand, like a gamester who, at the close of a long night, lingers for a while to see if he can have a favourable opening to finish with success. Once, when he was beginning to speak, he found himself overpowered by the loud voice of Johnson, who was at the opposite end of the table, and did not perceive Goldsmith's attempt. Thus disappointed of his wish to obtain the attention of the company, Goldsmith, in a passion, threw down his hat, looking angrily at Johnson and exclaiming in a bitter tone, Take it! When Toplady was going to speak, Johnson uttered some sound which led Goldsmith to think that he was beginning again, and taking the words from Toplady, upon which he seized this opportunity of venting his own envy and spleen, under the pretext of supporting another person. Sir, said he to Johnson, the gentleman has heard you patiently for an hour. Pray allow us now to hear him. Footnote. Johnson was not given to interrupting a speaker. Hawkins, Life, page 164, describing his conversation, says, For the pleasure he communicated to his hearers, he expected not the tribute of silence. On the contrary, he encouraged others, particularly young men, to speak, and paid a due attention to what they said. End of footnote. Johnson sternly. Sir, I was not interrupting the gentleman. I was only giving him a signal of my attention. Sir, you are impertinent. Goldsmith made no reply, but continued in the company for some time. A gentleman present, footnote, that this was Langton, can be seen from Boswell's Hebrides, August the 22nd, 1773, and from Johnson's letters of July the 5th, 1773, July the 5th, 1774, and January the 21st, 1775, end of footnote. A gentleman present ventured to ask Dr. Johnson if there was not a material difference as to toleration of opinions which lead to action, and opinions merely speculative. For instance, would it be wrong in the magistrate to tolerate those who preach against the doctrine of the Trinity? Johnson was highly offended and said, I wonder, sir, how a gentleman of your piety can introduce this subject in a mixed company. He told me afterwards that the impropriety was that 
perhaps some of the company might have talked on the subject in such terms as might have shocked him or he might have been forced to appear in their eyes a narrow-minded man the gentleman with submissive deference said he had only hinted at the question from a desire to hear dr johnson's opinion upon it johnson why then sir i think that permitting men to preach any opinion contrary to the doctrine of the established church tends in a certain degree to lessen the authority of the church and consequently to lessen the influence of religion it may be considered said the gentleman whether it would not be politic to tolerate in such a case johnson so we have been talking of right this is another question i think it is not politic to tolerate in such a case End of section 35